Hi, my name is Robert McMahon. I'm the Connection Director here at Covenant Church, and I'm thrilled that you're listening. If you're checking us out for the first time, welcome. We're so glad that you're here, and I'd like to take this chance to invite you to let us know that you're tuning in today. We'd love nothing more than to help you start building meaningful relationships and to join you on the journey of faith. Just go to bgcovenant.org connect and let us know how we can be in touch. With that said, let's dive in and listen together to this week's message. Today we continue our sermon series called Surrender. We're going to be walking through this, this idea of surrender all the way through Easter. Uh, and so this week, what we're going to do to get us started, I actually want to set up a video. We're, we're going to watch this video, but what it is, is there's a group of friends, I think college-age folks, I'm pretty sure they're in Canada, someone's going to get out of here, and I was like, I think we know where they're from. But what you're going to find is there's one member of this friend group of like 30 people who's sort of, there's like colorblind, and then there's kind of profoundly colorblind, and he's one of those profoundly colorblind people. And these friends have gotten together, and they've picked this perfect day in the middle of the fall when the leaves are changing, and they pulled their money, and they bring him outside, and they're presenting him with a pair of these kind of new color-changing glasses, these glasses you put on, and it takes someone's colorblindness and sort of allows them to see the world as it really is. And so I want to set that up for you because we're going to pick it up midstream Dwight, go ahead and show us the video. What it was, and he immediately broke down, and I was in tears. I could see everyone behind him was in tears. I was like, okay. <laughs> like, what a gesture for them to coordinate, and there's more than 30 of them, like, and everybody's got busy lives, and it just, not only did, did they give me the glasses, which is a nice gift, nice gift but they, all like banded together to do that for me, which was just pretty overwhelming. (laughs) (laughs) We wanted to do it while the trees were still changing colors. Fran's a really awesome person and everyone on the team loves him and knew how much it would mean to him. Look at us, <laughs> To give him that opportunity to see something that all of us see every day and take for granted almost, uh, was really special. Remove the balloons! Oh my god! Leave them on, leave them on. (laughs) You have to let your eyes close. I remember there was this one yellow leaf on a tree, like straight ahead of me, and as soon as I put them on, like it just popped out. Like, like striking, like it wasn't like a light brownish gray color, like it was, it was yellow. Those are the same! <laughs> Somebody gave me color-changing glasses. Not sure they were. Every time I've seen this a hundred times, I've watched this in preparation of this to try to figure out how this, and I still watch it, and his reaction gets me. It's a sweet moment. There's thousands of these on YouTube um, where 
people are getting their first look at what the world really looks like to the rest of us. And there's something profound about the innocence of it, I think, in, in that we rarely get to see adult human beings have such a profound experience as to see something for the first time. Um, and I think maybe that's what, what gets me. Adults rarely get these moments, and it's actually the first thing I thought of as I, I looked at the scripture that we're going to be in today. It's the first thing I thought of in relation to where we're going. And I think you'll see why in a minute, but as we read the scripture today, I think you're going to see why that experience may be where we're going. Um, And so today we're talking about surrendering your why, as in your purpose, as your why do I exist? What am I doing here? What is my purpose? Um, And the questions I'm going to be asking as you surrender your why is really what compels you and then what will sustain you. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11. Since then, the Apostle Paul writes, We know what it is to fear the Lord. Remember, fear here is sort of like that awe of being in the presence of the Creator. That fear is an awe. We know what it means to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it's also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it's for you. For Christ's love compels us. We we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do... So no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed us to the message of reconciliation. And we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you, we implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You start to see the parallel in the video in the scripture. We can put verse 11 back up. It says, since then we know what it is to fear the Lord, to be in awe of the presence of the Lord. Since we know what it is to know the Lord, we try to persuade others. See, these friends, they knew what it was like to see the world in vivid, beautiful color. They knew what it was like when, when October hits and the leaves start changing. They knew the excitement of that first green that goes to yellow that becomes that fiery red. They knew that. And they were compelled to share it with their one friend who had seen the world in shades of gray and brown his whole life. And then what was his experience as he gets the glasses? What's his experience? I mean, he just melted, right? I mean, he puts them on, and before he can say anything, you just see his face sort of melt as he realizes what he's been missing this whole time. He's overwhelmed, he's awestruck, and then he's so grateful that they would share this with him. Do you think if someone else walked up in that moment, someone else who was still living in the gray and the brown, do you think if someone else walked up and they said, hey, can I see those? Can I borrow your glasses? Think he'd say no, or he'd say, you have to see this. 
he would share that immediately. He'd be compelled to share. If he knows now what he didn't know before, he's going to be compelled to share it with someone else. That's an emotional moment. Tears start flowing before he even puts them on. He sees the glasses, and in advance of what's about to happen, he begins to cry. His friends begin to cry. Everyone's crying. I'm crying. You're crying. If you weren't crying, that's something wrong with you. You've got to be crying. Let's, let's show the video. I'm just kidding. Let's watch it again until you cry. So Paul's writing to the people of Corinth, and he is imploring them to remember what it is that compels them in life. They have a thousand other things. It's a worldly city. If they have anything else that they want to be distracted by or compelled by or focused on, they can watch anything. They can, they can follow anything. They can be anything. They can do anything. Just like you. They have a thousand other options for distractions and things to tie their life into. And yet he says, since we know what it is to experience the saving love and grace of Jesus, since we know what it is to experience Jesus in this way, we are then compelled to share him, to persuade others to know him. That's what we exist for, Paul is telling them. That's why our mission statement is so simple. We exist to know Jesus. And then once we know Jesus, part two, to make him known, we are compelled. If we know him, we can't help but to make him known. The guy saw color through these new glasses and became a puddle. And he just keeps saying, thank you so much. How much sweeter when we can give someone eyes to see Jesus, to see the love and the grace of Christ, to see the beauty of his grace and his mercy. How much sweeter is the moment when somebody puts on the glasses and allow them to see the world as it truly is, as God created it in them and through them, for them. We, we work in, in this life of grays and browns, and then we have the ability, you and I, to give people the ability to see color, to see what's true and what's real and what's beautiful. I remember, I remember when Jesus kind of invaded my life, when Jesus came to meet me where I was. I realized what his grace meant for me, that relationship was on offer. I remember the day, I remember the time, I remember the spot. I could walk you to the spot in this room in Buena Vista, Colorado. I was at Young Life Camp. They told me it was the greatest week of my life or my money back. I did not ask for my money back. In this room at Frontier Ranch in Colorado, I was sitting, if you look to the left side of the picture, that, there's that pole, that kind of big timber pole. I was sitting for the entire week. Every night you'd go and listen to a speaker, and I sat right behind that pole. I could kind of half see the stage, but I was pretty happy to be kind of hidden behind the pole. Almost like I was a little bit afraid of exposing myself and being fully vulnerable to what they were going to say. And then they invited me to know Jesus. And there I went. They handed me the glasses that I became a puddle. I remember it like it was yesterday. The tears fell, the glasses went on, and I thought, oh, this is it. This is life. This is the thing that you've been talking about. How come you guys didn't give this to me sooner? And they're like, we tried, you idiot. We had to bring you all the way to Colorado. And yet... I remember nothing. You can ask my wife, you can ask my mother. I remember nothing from ages 12 to 22. It's a strange trauma response. We'll talk about it later. I get told things all the time. I'm like, did that really happen? We learned recently through a series of bizarre circumstances that I went to a Britney Spears concert when I was 19. <laughs> I would have bet you a million dollars I have never seen Britney Spears live and in person. 
Turns out I would have lost. But somebody's like, no, you absolutely went, and you went with this person, you took that person, it took my little sister, like she liked her, and so I took her, and I was like, that didn't happen, though. And they were like, yeah, but it did. I don't remember anything, but I could walk you to that spot right now, burned in my memory. Can't forget that moment. I can't forget the hot, happy tears that wouldn't stop. I was compelled in that moment to follow Jesus, and I knew in that moment that it was all true. All of the stories, all the things I'd been told, I knew it was true. Something switched. Brown and gray, it's a vivid color. It was an emotional high, it was a spiritual high, but that emotional high lasted for a few weeks. Maybe you had the same experience somewhere in your life where you had one of those conversion experiences where you were like, my feet didn't touch the ground for weeks. I came home from Colorado, and then I'm that aggravating person who can't stop telling everybody about it. More than that, I'm telling them they need to get on board try these glasses. And they're like, come on, man, just relax with the Jesus thing. Told everybody I knew about it. And then, quietly, it faded. Not my relationship with Christ, but my need to share him. My, my compelled inside out, I got to tell the world about it. That sort of slowly faded Life returned, normal life returned, stresses returned, things return, life happens, and then the thousand distractions that are available every day, the other things to follow that were there for me, normal life crashed in. I didn't lose Jesus, but I lost my need to tell people in the flurry of the thousand other pursuits. So like maybe the color glasses get normal eventually, even for somebody with that incredible response to seeing color for the first time. Maybe eventually those glasses, you just get used to seeing leaves and beauty and sunsets. Maybe you get used to it. Like maybe you and I who follow Jesus, maybe we just get used to it. And the passion fades and the awe recedes. For a lot of people, I hear this kind of reading between the lines of people's stories in the valleys, a lot of people remember that emotional, spiritual high in that moment. And faith feels far off because we can't recreate the emotional high. I just want Jesus to meet me in this place, but I can't, it's not like the first time I met him. It's not like that time on the mountaintop. It's not like that. I just, I'm waiting, but I can't find him there. He's not meeting me there. I don't feel him there. Some people go so far as to just take the glasses off. Like, this is no longer novel, so I'm going to go back to the way it was because it isn't giving me that high I was looking for. Reality is emotion can carry you for a season. And things of faith, emotion, you can actually, it can carry you for a season. You can be emotional, you can get the emotional high. It can carry you for a season, maybe a short season but it won't sustain you for a lifetime. It won't sustain you for the the rest of your journey. Emotion will fade, and if emotion is what you're basing your faith on, your faith will fade with your emotion. What we need is something different. We have to shift from emotionality of the moment when we first see the color, when we first meet Jesus, when we first know grace. We have to shift from looking for that experience all over again to an intentionality, a different sort of thing. Because what compels us long-term is not emotion, it's something greater. Put verses 14 and 15 back up on the screen, and we read it there. What compels us? Christ's love compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. We're going to get to that. He died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. 
So, so first, our ability to live a life of intentionality starts with and can only be found in Jesus. And what compels us to live that life is nothing less than his love. If you're basing your life on anything less, if you're looking for your faith to be su- sustained and, and supplied and fueled by anything less than being fully rooted in his love, you will find that this is not working for me. I don't know, my faith feels dead. I don't know, I just can't hear from the Lord. Are, what, what are you fueling yourself with? If it's anything less than his love, we're not going to be compelled to continue to follow. We're not going to be compelled for sure to share because his love is what compels us. Not my response to his love, not my emotional feelings when I receive his love. It's his love. We focus on his love. The thing that Greg was talking about, his love that turns mourning into dancing, his love that's transformed us from sinner to saint. It's his love. We have to root in that love. And then we have to then, through that, look at what the rest of that passage say. He was convinced that one died for all, one being Jesus. Jesus died for all, and therefore all died. That matters, okay? So what does that mean? Wait, one died for all, therefore all died. Why is that important? Why does it matter? Think about it this way. Let's say I want to take you to a concert. I bought tickets. I bought all the tickets. There's our tickets. We are going to see Hannah Montana. Apparently, we paid $56 per ticket plus fees. And Miley Cyrus is also there. And you're of the generation that you know that those are the same people. You will explain to me how did she change like outfits in the middle? And you're like, I'm the other person though. Profoundly confusing experience for a lot of nine-year-olds. So we're going to the concert. Here's my point. We're going to the concert. I bought the tickets. I have the tickets. I say, will you go to the concert with me? I've already got the tickets. I paid for it. I just, would, would you be my guest? And you say, yeah, I'd love to see how she's going to pull off being both people at once. Yes, I'd love to do that. So I invite you. You're coming with me to this concert. Here we go. We're going together. Where are we going? Where is this? The Target Center. We're in Minneapolis for some reason. We're going to see Miley Cyrus. And someone says, hey, did you pay for your ticket? Did you pay for your ticket? I paid for your ticket. Did you pay for your ticket? No. Okay, so I'm going to ask you if you paid for your ticket. We're going to get into this. This is role play. This is hard. Did you pay for your ticket? No. No, you didn't pay for your ticket. I did. Are you paid in full? Oh. Well, how does that work? You didn't pay for your ticket, but you're paid in full to go to the concert, right? Right. That doesn't make sense to me. But that's what happened. You're paid in full even though you didn't pay. So in essence, in me, who has the tickets, you've paid, right? Okay. So you attend the concert how? On your own accord? On your merit? You attend the concert in me. In me, through me, you attend. Jesus said, I died for all, and all have then died. Jesus says, I invite you into the kingdom. You're with me. Did you get yourself there? Did you pay? No. Are you paid in full? Did you pay for your entrance into the kingdom of heaven? Are you paid in full? Jesus says, you're with me. In Jesus, you have died. But wait, there's more. Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified, Paul writes, with Christ. I no longer live. You've died. 
but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live in faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So we died with Jesus, and now we live through Jesus. Christ lives in us, and our resurrected life is in and through faith along with him. So the death we earned because of our sin has been accomplished in Jesus, paid for in him. Our debt is paid. And this, this reality, Paul is writing, compels us to see things in a new light, compels us to see the world shifting from grays and browns into vivid colors. And, 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 and it looks to the outside world like you've totally lost your mind. Some of you have had this experience more than others. You've been compelled to follow Christ. You've been compelled by his love to be part of his kingdom. You've been invited into the concert. He's paid the ticket. You show up, and your friends and family look at you like, what has happened to you? You've lost your mind. That guy with the glasses who saw color for the first time, freaking out over a yellow leaf, out of context, what are we thinking about that guy? Clearly on drugs, right? <laughs> you were thinking, oh, okay, it's a yellow leaf, bro, just relax. And he's holding it like some sort of insane person on a bad trip. <laughs> Verse 13, if we are out of our mind, as some say, it's for God. If we're in our right mind, it's for you. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. If, we're, if we appear to be to the outside world, to the mainstream culture, to your friends and family who don't follow Christ, if you appear to be a little bit out of your mind, if you've lost your marbles, if your agenda and your priority and the way that you see the world seems off, way to go, you're doing it right. We're so afraid of looking different. We're so afraid of people looking at us like, oh, those Christians. That's the design. The design is that we would look so radically different. We would look as if we were out of our minds by the things we prioritize in the world. That we take on problems of other people. That we choose to give our lives away in service of the vulnerable and the least of these. What are you doing? You don't build wealth that way. That's not how you live your best life. How can you possibly retire to Tahiti if you're busy taking on foster kids? That's a challenge. Eliminate friction, the world says. Make it easier. Seven life hacks to make you more successful. You won't believe number five, and we're all clicking. We love it. And the Bible says, no, man. You should look out of your mind at the way you live. You ever been told you're not acting like yourself by someone who knew you before you knew Jesus and after? Just, you've changed, man. I heard this a lot. This is, I'm going to confess. My mom sometimes watches these. I'm sorry, mom. When, when I changed, I changed. I heard it. I heard it a little bit, but I was I'm probably too young when I first knew Jesus. I went to South Africa for a year, and that's when, it, that's when my faith sort of took off. Is I, I was like, oh, okay. So I lived with a guy, and he taught me, discipled me, and, and showed me the way of Jesus. And that's when I feel like I really was in the way of Jesus, like, whoa. I came back from that, and my family said, you've changed. They weren't real happy about it. They didn't like me very much. 
They confronted me, sort of like small-scale intervention after the holidays, and they said, we really don't like the new you very much. You're not as much fun. And the holidays aren't as much fun. So you were the irreverent jokester. You were kind of the class clown as the little brother. And now you come back and you're kind of serious and about Jesus. And we don't love it. And maybe you could kind of like go back to who you were, is what they said. I'm from a big family. And uh, it, it wasn't surprising to me that as I became pastor and a preacher, and, and it wasn't actually surprising because of that you've changed experience. I didn't change back. They got over it. It wasn't surprising that my family never really became part of my, uh, my faith experience or my church experience. I would preach 45 times a year, three times per Sunday in a city where I had multiple siblings, in-laws, 14, not exaggerating, 14 sets of aunts and uncles, grandparents, and something like 70 cousins big families, all living in the same city. When we moved here, people said, it must be hard to leave your family. Like you guys, you know, you all attend church together, and that's like, it must be really hard. You have a big family. Is it hard to come here and be so far from family? Like, you don't get to go to church with them anymore. And we're like, man, no one went to church with us. We had 150 people that called us, and they were like, we don't want to go anywhere near that guy. They didn't come to our church. Some tried, to their credit. Some tried. Some left. They all had their reasons. A lot of them were valid. I'm sure the main reason was it was weird to get preached at by this creature, this alien that inhabited the body of their, their relative named Kyle. Like, that's weird. One, it's weird to get preached at by your little brother, so I get that. But two, it's weird to get preached at by the person who isn't the person we grew up with. That's different. You changed, man. He's out of his mind. This is not the person we know. And I kind of took that as a compliment you got that right. What does that mean for you? What does that mean for your purpose here? What does it mean for your purpose on earth? What does it look like for you to be just a little bit more out of your mind today? A little more countercultural, a little more different. Do you exist here to fit the expectations of people, to satisfy the culture, or is it something else? Verse 20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. And God made him who had no sin, Jesus, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So we ask again, why are you here? You have been made new so that you might be Christ's ambassador. What does that mean? In our terms, an ambassador in, in American uh, jargon, uh, the ambassador is the president's highest-ranking representative to a specific nation or international organization abroad. I had a friend who worked in the consular office in Turkey. He was a, a consular official, meaning he was, like, processing visas and checking for terrorism, and he was doing things. So I have my American friend, who's an American citizen, carrying out American business and American interests in a foreign land, Okay. He was, in, in some small level, he was kind of a sub He was an ambassador. He wasn't the ambassador, but he was an ambassador of the United States in Turkey. He didn't become Turkish. He was an American citizen carrying out American interests and American business in Turkey. He didn't adopt their culture. He represented America in all things he did. And the local people in Turkey found him, he would say, to be odd because he didn't do the things they did. He didn't do the things the way they did. He did things in a particularly American way 
which if you live in Turkey is odd. He was off. So let's borrow the language. If you are a high-ranking representative of God, if you are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, and you represent the interests and the policies of heaven here on the kingdom, in the kingdom of earth, uh-huh. that means you don't adopt the culture of earth, you don't attempt to be worldly, you don't, you don't worry about what the people here think, you actually live here to represent there. You live on earth to represent heaven. Jesus said, how are we going to pray? On earth that it is in heaven. Jesus says, you're my ambassadors. You're bringing the policies of heaven to earth. You're bringing the interests and the business of heaven to earth. And people might see you as odd. Your behaviors might be a little off. It means you're doing it right. If you don't fit into your office real well, good job. I'm not saying to be weird for the sake of weird. But if you don't fit in in your department so great, if academia looks at you a little sideways, if you go to school and all the kids are doing one thing and you're doing the other, and they're like, I don't get it. Might be doing it right. You exist to carry out the mission of the ruling authority. Jesus commissions his followers to this degree. The true believers, he calls his disciples in, he's been resurrected, and he tells them what their purpose on earth is. John 20, verse 19, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you, shalom, wholeness. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and they were glad when they saw the Lord. And he said again, peace, I'm bringing wholeness back to you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Jesus says, the mission I had on earth is now your mission. What was that mission? To usher in the kingdom of heaven, to preach the good news, to set captive free, to heal the sick, to give sight to the blind. How? How would we do this? How can we possibly do this? This seems hard. It's a lot of work. We're, gonna, we're supposed to just do it, just grit our teeth and do it? Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost, the ends of the earth. God says, I'm not expecting you to do it on your own power. That's impossible. It feels so hard to do it. Guess what? You're not using the Spirit. You've, you've decided to put the Spirit on the shelf. Jesus says, I'm leaving with you something even greater. I'm leaving with you my indwelling. I'm putting the Spirit of the living God in you so that you might live out the calling I put upon your life. Your why is to be my ambassador. How can I possibly do it? I'll give you the Holy Spirit. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, you can do all things and greater things, he says. When's the last time you felt like you could do something greater than what you read about in your New Testament? access the Spirit. That's what he says to do. He goes, oh, you don't think you could do that? You think it's weird? You think it's different? You think it's impossible? In the Spirit, you will do greater things. That's why you exist, to be a Spirit-powered witness of the living God. And to close, that requires surrender to all other agendas. All the other agendas, all the other ways, all the other paths, all the other priorities, all the distractions, all the places we find ourselves wanting to go. It says, if you're going to follow Jesus, if you're going to be his ambassador, if you're going to be this spirit-powered representative of the living God, it's going to require that you surrender some other agendas. You've got to surrender your other motives and your other purposes. Not, not they need to go away, not you have to quit your job today. It means 
the priorities of your job now become secondary to the priorities of the kingdom of heaven. Everything else becomes secondary. So you're getting a PhD. Good. God intends for you to use that as an ambassador of his grace. Or you're an entrepreneur. Great. Don't stop. God wants you to leverage your company or your wealth into spreading his gospel. If you're a husband or a father or a wife or a daughter, you're a grandmother, you're a child, good. You're a child of the king, first and foremost, sent to proclaim a kingdom. And you've been given the gift of a new life. You've been given the gift of this power of sight. You see the world that is rightly created. You no longer see as someone who is dead, but you have eyes to see the world as it truly is. New eyes to see what is real and eternal, like the guy putting on the glasses. And when we refuse to surrender our priority and our agenda, when we refuse to surrender my desire for whatever it is over the kingdom of heaven, we are people who are taking those glasses off and setting down for a little bit so we can continue on our journey. We're saying, you know what, that's cool that I could see it. I've got to get back to my business, though, Lord. I'll be back. We can't imagine it. His reaction to seeing that, your reaction to finding Christ in your life, to Jesus meeting you in your lowest place, your reaction to grace and mercy, you can't imagine taking that off and setting it on the shelf. And that's exactly what we do when we don't surrender our lives, our priority, our why in life. We are deciding, I will pursue my ends and my agenda and my aims. And we get to the end of the day and we go, why am I so unfulfilled in this? Because you've been made into a new creation. You were designed with a new purpose, with your new life, with your new eyes. So the challenge today is that you would put on those new eyes, that you would wear, clothe yourself in that new life that you've been given. Surrender the shackles of the gray and the brown. We go back to that so often. Surrender that. The shackles of the gray and brown. God says, I've broken those chains. You're with me now. And instead, you exchange the grays and the browns for the vivid colors of true life. The challenge today is that we would live in the new life so as to share with those who can't yet see it. As ambassadors of Christ, we live with our new sight and the new beauty and the new mercy and the new love. We are compelled by that so that we would share it with the world that still sees in shades of grays and browns. Are you out of your mind? I hope so. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as you, uh, as you bring these words to us today, as your word slices into us a little bit today and reminds us why we exist, Father, I pray that we would be of, uh, really in two places. Lord, I pray first that you would convict us of the places that we have, uh, have chosen the lesser life of the browns and the grays, that when we've chosen something less than what you've called us to. God, I pray that we would be kind of clearly convicted and profoundly aware of the lack of satisfaction of that life. Do that work in us. And then, Father, as we choose today to surrender again, the daily surrender of our agenda and our purpose for your purpose for us, God, remind us of the, the ease and the lightness of following you, of the fact that you've gotten us in, that your work has done the work. Father, we just get to live as your ambassadors. We get to live as your people. 
shouting from the rooftops about the love and the grace that we've put on, that you've clothed us with. Father, I pray that you would inspire and encourage us, that we would, as a people, be able to look each other in the eye, knowing we're seeing the same colors, that we would be able to look each other in the eye and encourage each other as we go as one community willing to look a little bit out of our mind so as to help others know you, to see you, to experience you. So Father, we thank you for your presence in this place. We thank you for your spirit, which you've given us. Pray that we would be faithful, not to set it on the shelf, but Lord, to live through the spirit you've given us. God, remove our fear, remove our doubt. Give us the boldness to walk with you. In Jesus' name.